You are Locked On Marlins, your daily podcast on the Miami Marlins, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome back to the Locked On Marlins podcast, your go-to podcast for all things Miami Marlins. As always, I'm your host, Arm Layton. I'm a longtime Marlins writer, as well as the founder of JustBaseball.com. And in today's episode, boy, do we have a lot to talk about. I'm glad I had a day to decompress a little bit from that doubleheader on Tuesday because, oh man, uh, that game, that doubleheader... I think really served as a microcosm of everything that is messed up with the Marlins right now. And I have said, and I still maintain this, that yes, the, the games don't matter too much right now, right? Like you're looking at a team that is way out of it, that is really just trying to see what they have going on in terms of the players like Brian De La Cruz and Alex Jackson and some of the other pieces. And of course, Jorge Alfaro, which I'm going to get to in a minute. But the thing is, is that they're also at the same time, making decisions that you wouldn't make for a team that is looking for long-term growth, I guess, and development of their players. And that is really alluding to the decisions around Lewin Diaz to continue to call him up and send him down and toss him back and forth like a ragdoll. He's been promoted or demoted every single month this season. Every single month he's been brought up and then sent back down and the Marlins do it again, kicking off September. September 1st, they send him right back to Jacksonville. And I, I would understand those moves if you were a team that is in the playoff hunt, right? You are looking for any way possible if you have to call a guy up because you need a bench bat or you need somebody that's capable and you don't want to just bring in somebody that doesn't have the offensive ability of Lewin Diaz. Yeah, maybe I could understand that. But if you're also simultaneously putting Jorge Alfaro in left field, a catcher in left field, then why are we making decisions like moving up Lewin Diaz to get maybe one or two at-bat? If that, then to send him right back down. Diaz has struggled in his sporadic at-bats in the big leagues. How couldn't he struggle in those sporadic at-bats? And the thing is, is he's been great in AAA, especially as of late. Over his last 23 games, he's been mashing the baseball. Probably the best stretch of his minor league career or one of the best stretches. He's only striking out 13% of the time. He's got six home runs in that 23-game span. And he has been driving the ball well to all fields, hitting lefties well. He's walking. Everything is great. Honestly, I'd argue that he's big league ready right now. He's about to be 25 years old. My issue is the juxtaposition that is Alfaro in left field, which is basically, as far as I'm concerned, it's saying hey, we are at the point of this season where nothing really matters and we're just going to experiment and see how it goes. But then also calling up Lewin Diaz just to send him down the next day. That's not really, that doesn't send the same message. It's a bunch of indecision. It's, like I said, juxtaposition. And there's no way to really make sense of it. And I think that's what's really frustrating, at least for me on this side with the, with the whole Marlin situation. Because you want to see some clear direction. And I'm not sure that we've seen that from this team. I mean, I'm positive 
definitively haven't seen that, right? They make the playoffs last year. I I know it's a shortened season. I know that they probably don't make it in a 162-game set, and I don't think anybody was really expecting the postseason this year, but they were expecting continued momentum towards the larger goal, which is building a sustainably competitive team, and the Marlins just didn't do that, and I've hashed that out more than enough already. I just want to talk about that last little segment there because I think the last little segment of this ball game pretty much encompasses everything that has been wrong with the team this year. So you have manager Don Mattingly going to Anthony Bass for the 3,000th time this year in the ninth inning. And what do you think his ninth inning ERA is? Because whatever you think it is, and I thought it was really terrible, it's worse. He has a 15 ERA in the ninth inning and the Marlins go to him. I know it's a doubleheader. Marlins were up four runs. Don Mattingly probably looking ahead to the second game saying, maybe I can get away without using Dylan Floro in the ninth because we're up four. Yeah, maybe that would sound nice in theory if you didn't have a bunch of shoddy guys in the back of your bullpen. They go to Bass instead and Don Mattingly goes to Bass instead and he struggles, albeit Floro was not great inheriting the situation that he inherited, but I would also say that I think Florho could probably finish it out if he gets a clean inning. Anthony Bass walks somebody, then gives up a two-run shot. See ya. That's it. And then Floro does the rest with the help of Jorge Alfaro and left. It ended up being first and third. Marlins up one and a routine single over to left field goes to Jorge Alfaro on several hops, not really hit that hard. Javi Baez is all the way at first. Baez anticipating that Alfaro may struggle with the ball in left field because he is a catcher out there. He is booking it around the bases. The second Alfaro bobbles it and left, he is sprinting around third, comes home and scores. That play right there that was set up by Anthony Bass in the ninth inning, the Marlins' lone multi-year deal last offseason, and the only other multi-year deal that they've made in several years is Corey Dickerson, so that's also just fun to talk about, but the fact that they go to Bass in that ninth inning, who has the 15 ERA, the fact that Jorge Alfaro is still in left field in the ninth inning, it's one thing to do this whole experiment thing, and I know it's a weird game and it's a doubleheader and a lot of the bench was shredded through, but if you can't have this guy in left field at the end of the ball game, then he probably shouldn't be in left field, and if you don't have a plan to move him at the end of the ball game, then he even more so shouldn't be in left field. Yes, Alfaro has swung it a little bit better since he's moved out there, but this is just a little bit unfair to him. I mean, there has been several different plays that I would say look like a high schooler out there playing in the outfield. And how can you blame Alfaro? He hasn't played out there in his entire professional career. Yet the Marlins are doing this experimentation. I, again, am okay with some experimentation if we're also going to maintain that same attitude and that same type of decision making through the other parts of the team, which would be maybe calling up Bryson Brickman instead of rolling out Isan Diaz every single day. And this isn't a vendetta against Diaz or Alfaro. The reason why I have these narratives, I guess, the reason why I continue to bring this up is that these players would not still be starting game after game on any other team. Even a losing team, a bad team, does not hold on to struggling players for this long. So now when you have a guy like Bryson Brigman, who by all means may not be good in the big leagues, he may not. Probably odds are that he won't be. It's more likely that Bryson Brigman will not be an everyday big leaguer than he will be. That's just the nature of it. That being said, I would love to find out 
if he is or isn't going to be an impact big leaguer or if he's maybe a solid utility guy. Maybe he's that replacement for John Birdie moving forward and that would be really helpful for the fish as well. Why not find out now? You have a month left in the season. Brigman has a 115 WRC plus in AAA and he's 26 years old. He's more athletic than Isan Diaz. He can play multiple positions. He can play short. He can play second. He can even play third and he also has the speed that Diaz doesn't have. I know that he doesn't have the power potential, but what good is power potential when you're not making contact? Diaz has not been good. He had a couple good games and then has totally fallen off. I don't think we need to see any more from this guy. I think we know what he is. And given that he struggles with some other things, such as base running, getting picked off, all of those little things, Bryson Brigman would give the team a better chance to win right now, but also would give the team a little bit more of a view as to how he could factor into the future. Right now, it seems like the Marlins have no plans on considering Bryson Brigman as the part of the future, whether it even be a utility role, which is surprising to me because of how good he has been so far in the minor leagues. He doesn't strike out and all of the other reasons that I provided, given that Isan has not been good. I just can't really make sense of catcher in the outfield, ragdolling your maybe one of your best hitters in your entire minor league system in Leywin Diaz up and down from AAA to the majors, back and forth. And when Kim Ang says it's not ideal to call up Leywin Diaz, she said that back in June that she'd rather him be getting at bats in AAA. Back in June, the Marlins season technically was not totally lost. So I could understand moving him up for a couple games because you want to try to survive and you're trying to put it together and you're trying to win ball games and stay somewhat afloat. That was early in June. Now, the Marlins have called up Lewin Diaz and sent him back down twice since Kim Ang said it's not ideal to call him up and send him down. And since then, they've been even more out of contention, yet they continue to make that same not ideal move. Personally, I just find it really hard for this ownership, this front office right now to be able to say, hey, trust us, follow us and put your faith in us when all of their decisions seem to contradict their own. How can you follow somebody who doesn't seem to know where they're going themselves? And that seems to be the case with the Marlins organization right now. The thing is, is this can all be fixed. This could all turn around in one offseason. And that's the crazy thing about it is the Marlins have done some good things despite their indecision, despite their bad decisions. They have done some good things. And the number one thing, as we always talk about, is compiling young starting pitching. Let's not overlook that. What the Marlins did in the 2020 draft is phenomenal. They really hit on almost every single selection. And the one selection they didn't really hit on, they traded to go get Dylan Floro. Albeit Alex Vesia has been very, very good. And that's unfortunate, but Floro has been one of the guaranteed back-end arms. I'm not really going to harp on that trade because I still think that it made sense for the Marlins. And Vesia, the Marlins were aware of what he could be, but they needed the guaranteed back-end arm. And given that they weren't going to pay up for one, I was okay with that move. And we'll see how Vesia continues. Right now, it's been a handful of innings. I'm not going to jump on the, this reliever's good after you let him go bandwagon. That's not really something I'd be more upset. Honestly, I'm more bothered by the Marlins not retaining Brad Boxberger and instead giving Anthony Bass a multi-year deal because Boxberger could have been retained for $1 million, is doing much better than Anthony Bass, and also 
has been in high leverage situations for the Brewers. He's picked up four saves. He's been in big spots and he has better numbers for $1 million and not a multi-year deal like Bass has. That is something that I would be more focused on personally than the Vesia deal, which I think gave the Marlins some sure thing security in the back end of that bullpen. But going back to what the Marlins can do here, I mean, there's a lot of things. They have a lot of assets. It is really unfortunate to see Jake Eater go down with the Tommy John surgery in the torn UCL. Unfortunately, that had been something that uh, I had known had been a little bit of an issue. Eater's velo had been a bit inconsistent, and this was something that the team was aware of and was watching, and unfortunately, it just continued to get worse, and he went down with the Tommy John surgery. So a really great year from Eater overall. It doesn't take away from that. Just very unfortunate that we might not be able to see him now all of next season, and it'll probably be a fresh start into the season after that. 2023 there for Eater, and hopefully he can just pick up where he left off and be on a fast track to the big leagues. That also does hurt the Marlins from a trade perspective because Eater was one of the assets that may have been expendable. That may have been one of the players that they were okay dealing. And of course, there's always going to be a good market for lefty pitchers, especially those that are carving up in double A to a sub two ERA. Theoretically, he could still get traded. There's still value there, but the Marlins would probably be selling low on somebody that can't pitch the entire next season. I guess it's all in the eye of the beholder. I could see Max Meyer being the guy that gets dealt. I still think he's the most likely to get dealt. We'll see though. I think anybody is available arms wise, but that this is how the Marlins can really rectify things. It's two things that are very simple and I'm going to lay out that plan in a minute, but it's clearly just one trading from your starting pitching and two making some signings that send the right message. That could be an extension of your own players already, right? Signing Sandy Alcantara to an extension would be something that sends the right message. That's probably not enough. You got to go get a Mark Canna. You got to go make some of those moves. But that's something that I'll talk about on the other half of the podcast is how can the Marlins write this ship in one offseason? By write the ship, I don't mean make the postseason right away. And that's something that I know Craig Mish has brought up a little bit is what is deemed a successful season next year after all of this frustration? Marlins fans are pretty sick of the losing, of the lack of competitiveness, and odds are they're not going to go and just cruise to the postseason next year, but I think meaningful games at this point in the year next year would be more than enough for many Marlins fans just being relevant in September. That would be something that is incredibly valuable and attainable, excuse me, for this team. I'm going to explain how they can do that and why it's so important for the team this offseason to make those kinds of moves. There's no doubt that the team needs a bit of a roster overhaul and who should stick around. That is also something I will get to in just a moment. Before I get there, a reminder that this episode is brought to you in part by Freshly. Dinner time can be chaotic, but with Freshly, it's easy. Their chefs take care of your meals a few nights a week and they take the pressure off of you. We're all trying to get in shape. We're all trying to eat well, but it's not that easy, at least for me, especially since I'm not much of a cook myself, uh, full disclosure. But Freshly makes it easy by delivering food that's fast. It doesn't have to be fast food. They offer quality meals without the hard work of prepping, cooking, and cleaning. They offer chef-made, nutrient-packed, delicious meals delivered fresh to your door. No cooking required. Grocery shopping and cooking can be a pain, especially right now. With Freshly, you don't have to do any of that ordering is easy. All you have to do is go to Freshly.com and choose from over 30 delicious and satisfying better for you meals like steak, peppercorn, sausage, baked penne, or even chicken 
pesto bowls. Freshly can fit your lifestyle with a variety of plans and meals to pick from that work for your dietary needs, preferences, tastes, and family size. And now our listeners can try Freshly for just $6.16 per meal. Stop searching the internet for healthy food near me every night and start living life freshly. Your meals are always delivered fresh, never frozen, and are ready to heat and enjoy in just three minutes. With new meals added each week, Freshly brings the convenience of chef-made, nutritionist-designed classics right to your kitchen. Right now, Freshly is offering $40 off of your first two orders when you go to Freshly.com slash locked on. That's Freshly.com slash locked on for $40 off your first two orders. That's Freshly.com slash locked on for $40 off your first two orders. Also brought to you in part by Wealthfront. Decades of data show that investors who trade individual stocks underperform the market every single year. In fact, only 1% of day traders beat the market. The odds are not in your favor if you're doing it alone. Team up with Wealthfront instead. Investing can be complicated, but whether you're a beginner or you've been investing for years, Wealthfront makes it easy. They have all the right tools for every portfolio. They create a portfolio of globally diversified, low-cost index funds personalized just for you in minutes. No manual trades, no picking stocks, no watching the stock market every single day. They automatically handle all of the investing based on preferences you control. Wealthfront is trusted with over $20 billion of assets, and you can get your first $5,000 managed for free by going to wealthfront.com slash locked on MLB. That's wealthfront.com slash locked on MLB to get your first $5,000 managed for free. Wealthfront.com backslash locked on MLB. So let's get back to this Marlins team. And I don't want to be entirely pessimistic because there are some positives. And I'm going to talk about some of the plans that I think the Marlins should be looking at realistically to not only be more competitive next year, but to send the right message to fans. And you got to be realistic too, right? I I want to say, go get Carlos Correa. And I think going into the year, there might've been an outside chance that the Marlins could maybe, maybe afford him if they wanted to pony up and make that big move. Now, it looks like Correa could be in for a really big payday. And when it comes to war, he's among the league leaders. When you compare some of the other free agent shortstops, he's having a much better year than Corey Seager, than Trevor Story. Seager's been hurt. Story has been playing on a lame duck franchise, essentially, or he is the lame duck for the franchise. I don't even understand how they didn't trade him. I guess it can always be worse. You could be a Rockies fan. And honestly, they do it way worse than the Marlins are right now, which is pretty impressive uh, given the circumstances. But maybe the Marlins could pivot to a Corey Seager. Maybe that's somebody that they could look at as shortstop. What will the price tag look like for him after a bit of a down year? Are the Dodgers going to bring Seager back? I don't think so, especially after the acquisition of Trey Turner with Gavin Lux in the fold as well, still coming back from injury, a lot of other infielders that they have in their system and plenty of infielders that they already have on the ball club. I could see them being more confident in just maybe retaining Chris Taylor, putting him in the outfield, sliding him around the infield if they need, than going to pay somebody like Corey Seager when they have one more year of Trey Turner and then can try to extend Trey Turner. Obviously, I would put Turner ahead of Seager when it comes to shortstop quality, and I'd put Turner ahead of just about any shortstop in baseball. You're going to have a hard time making a case for very many shortstops ahead of Trey Turner. Seager could be more attainable. That's a tough one in terms of what the contract could look like there. He does have some injury history. He's a really, really good player, but may just be in that price range. Career OPS 856, solid defense when he's healthy. But again, 
given that he's been banged up this year, given that he is somebody that doesn't put up the most prolific numbers, but does put up really solid numbers, there could be a chance there. That would be the one guy that I think if the Marlins are going to make a major splash, they could potentially do that. And he would be a wonderful addition to the team because you go Seager at short, you can go, of course, Jazz at second, and then you can have Miggy Rowe in that all over the place type of role. But again, the Marlins have not really given much indication that this team is, or this franchise is going to make that kind of major splash. So before I really start getting excited about something like that, what's a more attainable and what is a reasonable way that the Marlins can show that they want to win, make a difference without breaking the bank in a way we've only seen in 2011, which was a disaster in hindsight as well. You don't want to just spend just to spend. And that's why I bring up Seager. And there's some other candidates, but I would really say that you want to go after the guys that you think really fit in. That was the problem in 2011. The Marlins just went after dudes uh, just because they were good or just because they were coming off of good years and they sounded great, like Albert Pujols, like some of the other targets. And I talked about this on Outside the Box with Jeff Conine. He was talking about that Marlins offseason where he didn't really love all of the targets that they were going after and even said maybe not. But they just went all out on any big name they could find and we know how that all went. It's not going to be that way, obviously, with this ownership. I think that's very clear. But if they do decide to spend money, there are more than enough targets. I think if they more realistically want to shift their focus, the really easy way, and I did an episode on this already, go after Mark Canna. You can afford Mark Canna in the right situation. I know people love Nick Castellanos. I just think Castellanos would, one, never play for the Marlins because of how much he hates pitchers' parks. I mean, hates pitchers' parks. It's ridiculous how much he hates them. And I get it because his splits are so dramatic. But he has come out and said so many bad things about Comerica Park, called it a joke, was so happy to get out of there. I doubt he's coming to Miami, even though he's from there. Mark Canna, perfect target for the fish. That isn't somebody that I think is packing the seats, but it is somebody that could definitely make a major difference. Above average speed, he swipes bags, he hits for power, a great defender, can play center, can play the corners, does a little bit of everything, gets on base a ton. One of four players in the last four years to have an on-base percentage over 380. He is very, very, very underratedly impressive, and I'm a big fan of his. You could also go with Starling Marte, another Oakland Athletic. The problem is Marte is going to be too expensive at this point. I mean, he continues to just put up ridiculous numbers. He's stealing bases as rapidly and as successfully as anybody in baseball. He's hitting well. He's playing unbelievable center field. I don't really know if the Marlins are going to be able to afford him, and that's just the unfortunate uh, result of that situation. The Marlins probably should have, and we know that now, probably should have just taken their lumps and met his asking price, met Marte's asking price, because now, after what he's going to do, especially if Oakland makes a postseason and he gets to showcase what he's been doing in the postseason, his price tag is going to be way more than that. And the Marlins are going to be wishing that they coughed up a little bit extra money or that extra year, which I've said is understandable that they didn't want to give him that extra year. But given how dominant he has been since then, how he how good he was leading into that. And now we're seeing just how much he's appreciated across the game. I think the Marlins could end up kicking themselves on that one as well. And it's really frustrating. The one time they finally get a guy in there uh, again, money is the reason why he doesn't stick around. I can understand that frustration from Marlins fans, especially given that Marte has been the best player probably that they've had. 
since JT Real Muto, who was the, the lone survivor of the teardown, of course, after trading Yelich and all those guys. Really, I would say Marte is is far and away the best player since then. So it's it's a bit unfortunate for the Marlins there. And we'll see if they try in this offseason, but it wouldn't really make any sense if they did because they could have got him cheaper now. And instead, they're going to pay more this offseason. Find that very unlikely. The big thing that they need to do, and they're really only going to get one or two shots at this in terms of being able to make trades from their surplus of pitching, is they need to hit on this trade. They really need to hit on this trade that they're almost, I would say, imminently going to make with their arms. Who are they going to trade from? That's also important. And I think that they will make the right decision there. In terms of trading the right pitching prospect, that means not giving up the guy that is going to end up being the best for them. I, I do have confidence that if the Marlins trade Max Meyer, it's because Edward Cabrera will have the better career. Will they always be right about that? No, but I do have confidence in the Marlins making decisions on pitchers that they have and pitchers in general. I really do have confidence in the Marlins in that regard. That's one of the few things I do have unwavering or, or at least pretty consistent confidence in the fish to do is find young starting pitching or make the right decisions when it comes to young starting pitching and develop it where I don't have the confidence is them evaluating the offensive talent that they may acquire and cashing in for the right type of player. That's why I would say you have to target a proven player, a young proven player. There's not that many of those. And that's why we see the Cedric Mullins floated and the Brian Reynolds. I would look to Brian Reynolds, who, by the way, is really in the superstar category at this point. If he wasn't playing for the Pittsburgh Pirates, he's a superstar. I would meet almost anything in terms of their asking price. You want Max Meyer? Take him. Obviously, it's going to take more than that. You want Max Meyer and J.J. Bleday? Take them both. You want Max Meyer, J.J. Bleday, and one other guy? Take them. I'll, I'll throw in another legitimate, legitimate prospect. I think for somebody like Brian Reynolds, who is 26, who's putting up some of the best numbers in the game right now in center field with stolen base numbers, with good defense, I would give up whatever it takes because the Marlins really need those core pieces, those core offensive players. You build around a Brian Reynolds. You build around a guy like that. I know that it really hurts to give up some of these arms, but clearly J.J. Bleday, we don't know where he's going to end up. It might be the best move to trade him while you can still salvage some value if he really is continuing to struggle. The batted ball data, not great on him in terms of the power. Maybe the Marlins look at that and they say, hey, let's get out from under this now. I still think he can develop into a pretty good hitter, but I think the ceiling has been tempered a little bit because of the lack of power output that we've seen from him, whether it be just the exit velos or just the home runs, period. The only guy I'm really not trading from the Marlins right now is Peyton Burdick because of the fact that, you know, Burdick is one of the only guys performing for this team other than Leywin Diaz at the upper minor league levels. Of course, Griffin Conine is doing a lot of great things power-wise as well, and uh, for a million reasons, I wouldn't trade him. But when we look at some of the other guys, I'm really just not trading Peyton Burdick. That's the one guy that I'm really focused on keeping because of everything that he's done development-wise, the athleticism he brings, and like that's one of your only guys that has developed well offensively. So anybody else? I'm looking to deal and I'm okay with dealing to the Pirates. It could legitimately be almost any player because you have to take these chances at this point. You really do. That You have no other choice. I think that it's going to need to be a blockbuster for the Marlins. They need to make a major needle-moving move. And they're not going to do that in free agency. So go get your controllable superstar. Cattell Marte, the more I watch this guy, holy crap. Holy crap, is he good. And you can put him anywhere in the diamond too. I would give up 
whatever for Cattell Marte. Again, we have seen that you can stockpile young talent, and that's great, but you got to cash in on it at the right time. The Padres did that, and they're struggling right now. They've had just a decimation of injuries that have just ravaged the roster, but the Padres built up a really good system, and now their system sucks. Like, it's not good at all, but they cashed in, and their big league team, when healthy, is as good as any in baseball, and that's what they did. I mean, I would take the Marlins or the Padres situation right now if I'm the Marlins in two seconds. Of course, I would take the bad farm system and their current big league situation in two milliseconds. And I know you would, too. So that's where I'm looking for the Marlins is you got to start cashing this in. The Marlins could trade Max Meyer. They could trade Kyle Nicholas, who I don't want to either because, you know, I'm a big fan of his dating back to my days in the Cape Cod League with him. But just theoretically for for talking points purposes, you could trade, let's say, Bleday and McCambly and Meyer for Cattell Marte. And I would say that that is a ridiculously steep price. They might be able to get him for less. But let's just say you do that for the sake of argument here. The Marlins system is still in the better half of the league. So you just got a stud, like a superstar in Cattell Marte. And now your system is still one of the best, or at least a top 10, fringe top 10 system in baseball, at least by most pundits. That is a move that you can't blink at. You would still have Peyton Burdick in your system. You would still have Edward Cabrera knocking on the door. You'd still have Sixto Sanchez. You would still have guys like Dax Fulton or Kyle Nicholas slash McCambly, whichever one you decide to keep. You would still have Jake Eater recovering from Tommy John surgery. You would still have Yuri Perez, who, by the way, Yuri Perez will be on every top 100 list by the start of next year. I can promise you he will be on the every single one. People will start to come around to him. This is not some sort of just weird thing where Marlins fans value him more than others. He is for real. People that I've talked to, whether it be within the Marlins realm or beyond that, whether it be in scouting realms or whether it be in front office, I've had the chance to drop Yuri Perez's name. And anytime I do, it seems to be this, holy crap, this guy could be just one of the more valuable arms in the game, especially prospect-wise in the next year or two. So when you consider all of that, and now the Marlins just drafting Khalil Watson, and I like a lot of the other selections they made, you got to go do this. You got to go make a major move. And that's what I think the Marlins need to do. You make the big splash there, you can make a lesser move for uh, Jacob Stallings. And I know people are like, oh, what about anyone else? What about Contreras? I agree. But if you're making your big splash in one way here for Marte, I think you decide to go a little bit cheaper for the catcher, especially because I doubt that Wilson Contreras is going to say for sure that whole re-sign or that whole extend right away. So all that considered, I'm going for the mega deal for Cattell Marte or Brian Reynolds, and then another smaller deal or looping in Jacob Stallings there. Look at defensive war. Jacob Stallings has been among the best in baseball uh, this year. That's more important, and he swings it hell of a lot better than whatever the Marlins have wheeled out there this year behind the dish, and I would take Stallings in two seconds. He handles the staff really, really well. That would help the Marlins so much. Then the only money that you really spend is on relievers, or Rizal Iglesias and Aaron Loop, or whoever it may be. This team is instantly, exponentially better, and that's all it really takes is trading prospects that, you know what? Yeah, it'll hurt a little bit, but you need to make something happen now before you lose the fans. And the fans don't care about the farm system. They don't. And I'm talking about on a larger scale, getting people in the seats. Of course, I care about the farm system. Of course, many of you listening care about the farm system. But at this point, who cares? At this point, it just doesn't matter anymore. You need to get big league talent, impact big league talent 
We're going into year five soon of the rebuild. And it's just enough now. It's enough now. And I think that's where we're at. They have the talent. They need to take a chance. And I think it's time to do that. So we'll see how that all goes. This year has been largely a disaster at the big league level. I would say at the minor league level, there have been a lot of successes and there have been some good developments at the big league level too. I think Jazz Chisholm, yes, up and down season, he's battled injuries, but overall I've come away feeling better about Jazz Chisholm now than I did coming into the year. I could say the same about Jesus Sanchez. I could even say the same about Lewin Diaz. There's some good takeaways. I would even say Jesus Aguilar. He looks like somebody that could be a borderline all-star for this team the next couple years and somebody that's going to drive in 100 runs on a bad team. There's some good developments here. We talk about the pitching side of things. A lot of really good developments there. Maybe they found somebody in Zach Thompson. Pablo Lopez built on last season and hopefully comes back healthy. Trevor Rogers has been one of the best young pitchers in the game. There are positives that have been unlocked from this year. And of course, Peyton Burdick hitting and some of the other minor league players that have really put it together. Griffin Conine having a mega year after being acquired for literally nothing. A lot of low-key pitching prospects that have looked really good, which is why I have the confidence in being able to trade some of these upper-level, higher-profile guys. So there are some positives, but now it's time to make a major move and cash this thing in and move the needle. Send the right message. Doesn't necessarily have to be spending money, but you have to give to get. And I hope that the Marlins do that this offseason. I expect them to be aggressive, but be aggressive in the right way. Pay a little bit extra to make the safest move possible instead of taking chances. The Marlins have taken enough chances, especially offensively, and they have not worked out. You need to play it safe. Play to your strengths. Play to your weaknesses. Take chances on pitchers and play it safe on hitters. That's clearly what you need to do moving forward because you have not had the success. You got to look in the mirror, acknowledge your strengths, acknowledge the weaknesses and proceed as such. Hopefully the Marlins will do that. And you know what? Over the last month of the year here, and one more positive I forgot. How about De La Cruz? DLC has been phenomenal as well. He's earned himself an opportunity on next year's team. There's a few guys that I would say really have an opportunity on next year's team. Aguilar should be there. I would say Lewin Diaz. If the DH is involved, he should be playing first. Aguilar can be the DH. You have Garrett Cooper in the fold. I don't know how that's all going to shake out, but that's somebody that if he's healthy, you find a way for him to be in the lineup, even though he's brutal in the outfield. I want to see De La Cruz out there because he's earned it unless he falls off a cliff in this last month. I want to see Burdick competing for a spot in the big league roster on opening day. And outside of that, outside of Jazz, I think it should be just fair game and open for everybody and open competition. And you should be looking to add and make improvements anywhere you can. So that'll do it for today's episode. Hopefully more enjoyable games ahead for the fish. Just focus on the development and focus on hopefully some prospects that they call up. Please call up Bryson Brigman. Enough Isan Diaz, enough of the outfield Jorge Alfaro. I'd rather see Peyton Burdick out there. And at this point, I think he's close to ready, or at least he's ready for a September taste. And then he'll be much more acclimated for next year because next year is definitely the timeline. So that'll do it. I'll talk to you tomorrow and I hope you have a good rest of your Thursday.